podcast about tech tools tips and tricks on tuesdays at two i'm your co-host yuna and i'm chris today we have another chris on the show chris epstein say hello hey everyone super super excited to have you on the show because today we're talking about css CSS blocks okay (laughs) we don't worry chris we never say that at the same time we always aim for it it's like a dream it's a goal but never happens um before we get started talking about CSS blocks, I do want to introduce our sponsor. Our sponsor for today's show is Datadog. Datadog is a software as a service based monitoring platform that provides dev and ops teams with a unified view of all their systems, apps, and services. You'll be a part of thousands of organizations who already rely on Datadog to collect, visualize, and alert them of abnormalities. There are 200 plus turnkey integrations, including AWS. Postgres, Kubernetes, and Slack, all done out of the box with custom metrics to gain full stack observability with a unified view of all of your systems, apps, and services. They released a new log management service that integrates with the logging systems you already use, so go and check that out. Other key features include real-time visibility from customizable dashboards, algorithmic alerts, which include anomaly detection, outlier detection, forecasting alerts, etc., and to end request tracing to visualize app performance, and real-time collaboration. Datadog is offering listeners a free trial and as an added bonus for signing up and creating a dashboard, they'll send you a free t-shirt. So check out their log management service and start a free trial today at datadog.com slash toolsday. That's D-A-T-A-D-O-G dot com slash T-O-O-L-S-D-A-Y. They'll send you a free t-shirt along with your free dashboard. So go to datadog.com slash toolsday. Thank you, Datadog. Woo! Okay, I'm really <laughs> excited to talk about this topic. Chris, can you please give our viewers a little bit of a background introduction to who you are? Hey, all right. Uh, so who am I? Uh, my name is Chris Epstein. I'm a uh, senior staff engineer at LinkedIn. Uh, I've been here for about five years now. Uh, LinkedIn hired me because I was a core team member of SAS and I had made a CSS framework on top of it called Compass, and we're big users of those technologies here at LinkedIn. And, and Compass and SAS are a big deal if you're unaware. <laughs> <laughs> I feel yeah. like uh, Compass was the only reason I chose SAS back in the day, so thank you for that. Yeah, you know, it was a, it was a fun project. I mean, if, I, hopefully very few of your users are using it now because I'm not maintaining it, so uh, <laughs> that would be bad. And, you know, Ruby SAS is kind of gone and nowadays we're recommending people use either node sas or lib sas or dart sas it's a good time (laughs) yeah uh and i i have not been super active in developing those tools anymore i'm mostly doing other new things and i 
mostly I'm more of like an advisor now when it comes to SaaS things. Cool. So let's talk about some of the new stuff that you've been working on at LinkedIn. And those things are optics and CSS blocks, which are both open source solutions for writing really performant CSS. Um, so what are CSS blocks? Uh, so first off, I will say that we are still kind of learning on how to present these things. And I will apologize in advance if I don't have super concise ways of describing these things. Uh, but I would say that like CSS blocks is uh, what I would think of as an ergonomic approach to writing BEM. Uh, so it is a okay. I like that description. Okay. okay. A highly opinionated <laughs> framework about using uh, using BEM uh, style of constraints for authoring your CSS. And so people who already use BEM are well suited to adopt. CSS blocks as a convention because the rules are basically the same. Uh, even though our syntax deviates from uh, standard BEM syntax, uh, and the reason that we're able to deviate from the BEM syntax is that we create uh, the concept of like a local scope per block, and that name scope is something that we're able to bring into our various templates and uh, access the names of the block in a more like scoped way where you would say like the the name last which is you know a real common class name now let's last within this particular block or something like that super cool so so question for me is I, I see I land on your site it says inspired by CSS modules so if I'm already a CSS module user um, hypothetically why would I swap to blocks I guess Right, so um, a lot of our syntax that you would see, especially if you're a JSX user, uh, yeah. is that a lot of the syntax looks very similar to using CSS modules, at least uh, in terms of the idea that it looks like you're importing a CSS file yeah. and then you're using the values kind of stored in that um, object. imported object. Yeah. Uh, it's not exactly the same syntax, but... Uh, those, the values that you would import, then you can assign to uh, elements in your JSX expressions. Yep. And, but our approach is very different in terms of implementation. Mm, so okay. where CSS modules would add like hashes or other sorts of unique like addendums to the identifiers you've created. Yep. Uh, CSS blocks aims to actually completely rewrite your JavaScript uh, and the templates that are using your styles. Okay. So we actually, like there's not an object that we would give to the browser that has a mapping between class names and uh, that you would author with and class names that are being used in the browser at runtime. Okay. <clears throat> because there's not really a, a one-to-many correlation between our class names that we author with and okay. the class names that the browser would end up using, especially after we apply all the optimizations. Okay. So it's a lot of sort of behind the scenes optimization. Yeah. So if you've ever gone to Google's website and you've like looked, opened up your inspector <laughs> and you've looked at all their class names and it's like a bunch of gibberish, um, 
we go to do that. And the reason on the website we say it's also inspired by atomic CSS is that one, one of the optimizations we apply is this desire to create a, a declaration-oriented output uh, that where the, the styles that we create, like there's a, like you probably declare float left in your, in your style sheet, like how many times, like dozens and dozens of times, or you might declare like width 100% a whole, a whole bunch of times. And so the idea, what if we could only declare width 100% in one place, and then everywhere that we want that, we would use that class name instead. That's highly presentational, maybe not super maintainable, but if an optimizer does that for you, it makes mm -hmm. it much easier to, to kind of make that perf highly performant approach work at development time. It's like using at extend with SAS. You're bringing the class up above the content of the block of style there, rather than adding that block of style to every single area in the class. Yes, I think that's a really great insight. Um, because a lot of people have tried to do this where they will put at extend and try to like extend away from the shared directives in order to minimize how much output they're creating. Unfortunately, it doesn't work out. If you measure your CSS and you did that approach with extend in SAS, you would actually see that after gzipping, you've actually made a bigger file, even if before gzipping you have a smaller file. <coughs> uh, <laughs> Compression is actually kind of counterintuitive in that respect. Uh, because of the way that duplication is minimized, there's a sliding window of kind of bytes within which you can deduplicate. And so extend kind of scatters these things about inside of the CSS file, and you end up with a, a like small, like a bigger compressed file. Uh, and CSS modules actually has this problem as well because, uh, because they're introducing hashes in a lot of places. And yeah. hashes are really terrible for gzip compression as well. Because they can't, can't dedupe hashes, I'm assuming. Yeah, I mean, they're unique by nature, yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> you know if I have had an extend versus mixin fight for about three years now. Uh -huh. uh, yep. <laughs> Wait, so tell me who's who. Uh, I am mixin, and uh -huh. you know is- I'm team extend. <laughs> I think I'm on Chris's Proudly team. Proudly team extends. Not that it matters anymore, but. <laughs> <laughs> Neither of us use it anymore, but. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, I invented extend. <laughs> I'm so See? I'm sorry. Uh, Be supportive, Chris. <laughs> and I, I want extend. I want extend to exist in the browser. If it was in the browser, it would be great. But the, the implementation that we put in SAS, I think, has a number of problems that have resulted in people saying, yeah, it's probably better if we don't use it. And um, in that respect, I really hope someday the the browser makers will uh, adopt Give something like that. Add apply one day. Yeah. Uh, rest in peace, add apply. But uh, OK, so uh, back to CSS blocks. Um, I, I was kind of going through the API documentation. Um, so I, I actually do use, so I'm a, you know, it's actually the CSS module person. I use Emotion generally. Um, or I'm using just importing in a, a separate CSS. Check file. out our last show for more on that. Yeah, <laughs> so has has a bunch of this. Um, one of the things that I was going through is that I was having a bit of trouble with. I guess um, it feels like you're bringing some logic into the 
might not logic, but state into CSS. And so you have the, you know, colon, scope, and then you have the brackets, and then you have state, which is just scoping, right? And then inverse is the subscope. Is that correct? Or did I lose? Um, I mean, so the syntax of how you write with blocks. So scope is really just uh, an, an identifier that identifies the root element of okay. the document subtree that the block is being applied to. Could I use a class name there as opposed to colon scope, or does it have to be you, that colon? You can't in our current syntax. Okay. Uh, but for a long time, we used the class name root. Okay. Um, but in, in CSS, there's actually uh, scope is, is a specific CSS concept that yeah. the CSS specification has created oh, okay. for exactly this use case where you've got an element that defines like a document subtree okay. and you, you, you kind of don't want to name what that element is. Got uh, it. It's like the root, but it's not the root because the root is the top of the document. So right. they've created scope as that. And if you and I actually had the epiphany the other day that it's basically ampersand. Like if you're familiar with SAS, yeah. scope in CSS for selectors is actually just their take on the ampersand. Okay, so yeah. So for I, people listening and not looking at the example files on cssblocks.com, it's basically you have this button.block.css file, which is your parent, and then everything inside that is like scope, scope with uh, attribute state of inverse. It's a specific syntax, but to me, this all just seems like nesting inside of this parent. And like Chris was saying, it's like ampersand when you have scope in there because you're saying replace the scope with the name of the parent component, which is button in this example. Um, so to follow up on the question, so when I'm looking at the website, there's a code compile optimize site. So the first tab is code where you have the colon scope. Second tab is compile, which is dot button. Is that button namespace derived from the file name? Um, or it is it kind of just an example? It is, uh -huh. yeah. Um, the, the names end up being kind of meaningless because okay. once at we end, apply yeah. optimization, yeah. We actually end up moving to a naming scheme that's like A, B, C, right. and you know eventually becomes A zero and things yeah. like that. Like CSS modules. In is there like a and is, then, is there like a dev mode where it stays as the dot button? Um, right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then the compile step, it kind of looks like it converts into BEM. It does. So all of those different. Uh, States and substates that you have yeah, states are get just compiled into modifiers. Yeah. So yeah. it's just like a more um, expressive way of writing. Oh, okay. State. I see what it is now. All right. Yeah. yeah <laughs> okay. They're just bend modifiers, but they're yeah. they're selecting an uh, an attribute on the element, uh, and and so the goal there is to create this rather than having the class name be this like micro syntax for applying a bunch of stuff and having to do a bunch of string concatenation. That's what it ends up being in the browser ultimately. But, but the feeling, like if you're, you, you actually get that feeling if you're using it uh, with JSX, but the preferred syntax is what we do with Ember. Uh, and there what we use are actual like namespaced attributes on the element. So you would got see it. state colon foo, and uh, you're selecting that attribute on the element and in that it. sense, it feels like you're writing CSS that matches up. Um, Got it. I don't know if people are familiar, but the bar symbol for is the namespace delimiter for CSS. So 
that's not us using crazy syntax. We're really just trying to use CSS syntax for namespacing there. I think some of this is that I was not familiar with that syntax, and so I didn't know. I didn't yeah. know about scope or the bar syntax. I was like, oh, okay. But now that I'm kind of toggling between the code and compile examples, it does make a ton of sense. I'm going to learn you some esoteric CSS. Here. Okay, That's my job. excellent. That's my. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, kind of related is optics, which is spelled opti. I thought it was opti CSS because O P T I C S S. But this is another open source project from LinkedIn that optimizes style sheets. How does optics work? Cool. Yeah. So optics, uh, despite the fact that it, its name makes you think it should be pronounced as Optus CSS, uh, is, is our like take on a generic CSS optimizer. Um, but the lots of people are using CSS minifiers right now. And that means they're able to take things and put them into another way of writing them that would enable the compressor or the, comp the compression algorithms or whatever to do a better job um, or to just generally prefer smaller byte representations. Um, Optics takes a very different approach to how to make a smaller CSS file uh, because what we, we are not operating in a CSS only mode. Um, like many of the CSS tools, including SAS or whatever, they all try to be a pure CSS tool that doesn't have to know what's happening in the templates. Um, and that's because if you try to understand what's happening in the templates, it's really complicated and it makes it hard to coordinate all of these things. Um, but I said, screw it. <clears throat> Let's make our jobs hard because I get paid. Uh, and so we we go and we like parse all the template files. Like it, for JSX, we're parsing JavaScript with ASTs and walking expressions and figuring out what's going on in there. And then we, in handlebars, we do the same thing with like the handlebars AST parsers. And, and then when we're done, we have a description of how all the CSS is being used inside of the app. And from there, we can because of the way the particular syntaxes that we've created are, we can do static analysis of all mm. of that. And we can decide what classes are used together at the same time on the same elements. The reason that's cool is that there's a specific optimization that we're trying to perform. And it's this idea of creating the atomic class. Uh, and what you want to be able to do is take all the width 100% and merge them into a single class and then say to all of the places that are using that declaration, use this class now instead. Except if you do that, you will probably break the cascade for somebody. Yeah. Uh, especially if two classes that resolve the width attribute slightly differently are applied to the same uh, element. Oh. Okay. And so by doing that analysis, now we know what's safe and what's not in order to how to merge those things together. And then the way CSS blocks comes into play here is that we, we take the notion that the cascade is valid. Um, so specificity and document order is valid yeah. within the context of a single file. But across files, it's kind of meaningless. Uh, different teams and, and whatnot might use specificity in slightly different ways and the heuristic of resolving CSS against specificity kind of breaks down in these across component 
kind of use cases. And so we actually require a specific resolution from the developer in that case. And that lets uh, CSS blocks tell optics exactly how those resolutions are, are winding up. And then optics goes and can completely can coalesce all of those um, declarations down. So are there no global styles at all in CSS blocks? Well, all styles end up being global ultimately. At the, yeah, in the end. Uh, uh. But we just allow you using a global style okay. on the same element as a CSS block style. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I was reading through your doc and I saw you had like a disallowed rules, um, which I thought was super curious. So, you know, you disallowed the, like a, the one that I was curious was the um, no child elements of a, um, of a namespace as opposed versus a scoping, right? Um, I guess for me, for me, reading your documentation, was, I was learning a bunch about CSS that I didn't know. Um, so I didn't know, like, uh, <laughs> a lot of these, like, these terms, like, shallow, uh, shallow classes. Um, and um, I guess Office CSS kind of does this because you, you care so much about the resolution of the cascade that if you have these comparisons, the cascade is invalid. Is that kind of the... Um, so... Optics can take literally any CSS as input. Like okay. the, the CSS that, that CSS blocks limits you to yes. is not the, the what is allowed as legal input to okay. optics. Got it. Um, okay. So anybody can use optics with their code base right now? Kind of. Uh, what I will say is any CSS framework can adopt optics right now. Okay. Which is slightly different. Uh, because it requires this concept of analysis and rewriting, right. it's not something that any old app can just be like, I'm just going to use optics. Because you're, then what you're doing is you're building your own CSS framework, basically. So who is CSS blocks and optics meant for? Or like who's the ideal user? Right. So there are a <laughs> bunch of use cases that I would recommend people don't use CSS blocks. Uh, and... And basically, CSS blocks is my opinion, Chris Epstein's opinion, <laughs> on how you should write your CSS. Uh, and if you do, you will get a bunch of great benefits. But you might think my, my aesthetic for writing CSS sucks, and I wouldn't tell you it, you're, you're wrong. But when I, like, I've been doing CSS as like my primary focus for over 10 years now. So after like absorbing the CSS world all these years, I've come to kind of believe that that CSS can be authored in a way that is scalable and ergonomic. Uh, and like, but I did the, so one of the hard parts at scale with CSS is like if you build a design system, how do you, roll that out? How do you pass that along to various different consumers? How do you build an API? How do you deprecate things? Like, there's it's actually a ton of complexity there, and SAS gave a lot of tools for managing that uh, in pure CSS. And obviously, it's been hugely successful and useful to people. Um, and it's still a great tool for the job. I, I recommend it. But at the end of the day, if you have like a mix-in that says, don't do this thing and it gives you an error, like a person can just say, fuck you, and <laughs> add another class and do those styles and get their way. 
Uh, and in, in some respects, CSS blocks is more draconian, right? Like, I'm analyzing your templates, I'm analyzing your styles, and I just won't build your app if you do something bad. Uh, I just review, like, sorry, you don't get to build your app now. And if they come to me and say, well, I just want to do it this one time, I'll be like, sorry, I make the rules. So is there a warning system? Like, how do yeah. developers get feedback? Uh, I mean, it's a build system integration. So it integrates with Webpack and Ember CLI and other build tooling uh, to, con to transform the templates as well as the style sheets. And so you will just get an error saying, you've done something that violates the rules. Here's what you should. And would you say that this is another form of CSS and JS? Because you do integrate it very closely. That, <laughs> that is a tricky question. You don't want to say it. But <laughs> it's both, and it's neither. Um, ultimately, CSS, what, so I don't actually believe that there's a distinction uh, with the correct tooling between CSS and JS and with uh, CSS in CSS? <laughs> Plain old CSS? Yeah, it's like everybody's like, oh, 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 you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't. But you're just describing styles. You're just describing them in different places, in different ways. It, they're transformable between the two. I don't see them as different problems. You should, you should author things in a way that feels natural to you as a developer and that lets you um, maintain and scale your software as best as you can. It turns out the thing that's best for the browser is for you to send a CSS file to it and let selectors be fast, because selectors are so much faster than JavaScript. Let the CSS engine do its job, but also help the CSS engine by keeping specificity low and uh, like, reducing the total number of selectors and things like that. So <clears throat> I, don't, I don't see the difference between the two. What I see is a tooling gap, and I've aimed to fill it with these tools. Well, we are coming to the end of the show. We're going a little long on time. So before we wrap up, Chris, do you have any uh, words of wisdom for people who want to be using these systems or any shout outs that you want to make? Cool. Uh, yeah. So one thing I'll say is that right now we are still pre 1.0. We're aiming to get to a 1.0 before the end of the year. Uh, so people who are adopting it right now, what we're asking is that they're they're aiming to be early adopters. They're expecting there to be lots of changes to the to the system and lots of bugs in the system and things like that. And we're hoping that they'll help us collaborate on giving us early feedback as well as at creating new tools or helping us add new features. Uh, if you are a awesome person who wants to use it but not get involved with the development of it, probably you're going to want to wait for the 1.0 announcement. So that's an important fact. Uh, but yeah, uh, cssblocks.com is the website. And the CSS-blocks.com. Yes. Thank you. Uh, and for shout outs, uh, obviously to LinkedIn, who paid me to sit in a room for a year and build this. Uh, and also to Adam Miller, who's been my partner in crime on this project, and they also paid him to sit in a room with me. They should have paid him more uh, for that. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, and we both built a lot of this together, yeah. Cool. Thank you so much for being on our show. Check out CSS Blocks, again, at css-blocks.
www.ethicsmartcoach.org if you want some more information. There is a demo example on there. So you can like understand what we're talking about by looking at it. I think that always helps. Um, before we wrap up, I do want to give a shout out again to our sponsor, Datadog, who is offering a free trial and a free t-shirt at datadog.com slash toolsday, D-A-T-A-D-O-G dot com slash T-O-O-L-S-D-A-Y. Also want to shout out to Webflow, who has been sponsoring us for a while, but doesn't want us to run ads. They're they're just, I don't even know why you sponsor us. Thank you. <laughs> we appreciate you. Um, if you if you enjoy the show, please uh, share it with a friend. That's like really the biggest thing that you can do to support the show. That's how people hear about the show, write reviews on iTunes or other places that you listen to the show. Um, and tune in next time.